Good morning. So did you feel the energy level drop dramatically when the kids left? I did. I feel like, oh man, why keep going? Why keep going? Actually, it's kind of true because I feel like uh, Susanna, right, um, led us in pretty significant worship. You know, how often do you get to do the donut man in church? Not all that often. <laughs> you and I do not grow up in the 90s. We do not know the donut man. So uh, I will have to go look that up. It feels fun. So we'll do that. Mine's more like salty. Remember the salty book? My new people are going, no, I do not know that. All right. All right. That's fine. That's fine. So we're starting a new series. So uh, I invite you in. In front of you somewhere, underneath, is a Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning, I invite you to grab one of those because we're going to be bouncing around. And I feel like it's helpful not only, I know we'll have the words up front, but I feel like it's helpful to do that. And I also feel like it's helpful um, if you have your own Bible to bring that with you and uh, start to make, I, I know, there's some people, my dad was like this, he, he, if, if you made him write in his Bible, he'd have passed away. He, he couldn't do it uh, because that's a sacred book. You know, you can't, uh, you can't, he, in fact, he hardly read it because it was so sacred. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll talk about my dad later, but um, sorry, dad. And uh, I find that it's helpful uh, to write some notes in there and that type of thing. And so uh, if, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of these Bibles and make it your own. If you do have a Bible, I invite you to bring it because we're going to be in the Bible for the next uh, five, six weeks, working our way through the book of Philippians. I love this little book. Um, it's probably my favorite letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. I love Ephesians and Romans for the deepness of their doctrine. Uh, I love Timothy, the two little Timothy books, uh, kind of at the end, because they're very personal. He's writing these very personal notes at the end of his life, and those are very tender and amazing. But this letter, I don't know, it quickens my step, it brightens me, there's a lot of joy in it. The word joy is mentioned, joy or rejoice, 19 times in four chapters. So apparently it's on his mind. And so there's a lot going on in this little book. So we, we will do this series over the next four or five weeks, and I just feel like it's helpful. If we're going to work through the Bible, you ought to bring your Bible. So that's just me saying, and there will be someone checking at the door. So no. So I, I do have a picture of the Apostle Paul writing this letter. It's a photograph. What discourages me just a little bit is when I let my hair grow out, I kind of look like that. Maybe I don't look that smart. I just look that disheveled. And, uh, and so that's uh, actually by a, it's a contemporary painting. It's really a, a fairly masterful work by a, uh, a man by the name of Michael Rossetti. And uh, this was actually painted in the mid-1980s. So it's a relatively new work of art. And Paul wrote this letter that he's writing here right now as a, actually it was a thank you note, essentially. Uh, he wrote a thank you note because Epaphroditus had just come 
to visit him and bring him money from Philippians. He's in jail in Rome. And uh, a member of the church from Philippi came to bring him money. The system in that day, you had to be supported by friends and family in jail. So they didn't have the same social services and systems that we do today. So if you didn't have friends and family and you were in jail, it was a very meek existence. And so uh, the Philippians had heard about his circumstances and they brought him an offering so that he would have some money and, and be able to be sustained while in jail. So he perhaps was very joyful because of their considerations of him and, and their care and, and love for him. And so he wrote them back a letter and sent the same fellow back home to Philippians to deliver a letter. Now this happened about 10 years. We're going to get into this. But he wrote this letter about 10 years after he planted the church. And so we'll, we'll talk about this because I think it helps us to put some of this into context when we start reading some of the beautiful passages of joy in, in Philippians. So um, we're going to spend some time today in Acts chapter 16. So if you wanted to, you could put kind of a finger there or your bulletin there. Then we'll also be in Philippians. And, and we're going to discover that, that there is a a huge hope that Paul has for the church at Philippi. And the reason I thought it might be fun for us to explore this is because I feel like there's a huge hope that God has set aside for us. We are, we're between, but that doesn't mean that we can't uh, shine quite brilliantly in the midst of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Just as Paul found himself in jail and, and he made every effort to shine like a light that's our opportunity as well. We're not in jail. We're good. We can shine quite brightly in these circumstances. Let me, let me read a passage to you from Philippians chapter 3. So it's hard to find this little book, but it's in the New Testament. So you want to go about three quarters of your way through your Bible. And then Philippians is one of four what are called the prison letters. Let's see if I can do it. Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and one more. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, and so he, they're all kind of tucked together. And so um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> and actually, um, Kim read this a little bit earlier, but let's, let's review. Whatever, I, whatever gain I had... I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And he had quite a bit of gain. He was quite a guy. And you get to read about it a little bit. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. You remember he was... Um, Pharisee and a, and a well-educated man, a Roman citizen, uh, perhaps a, a man of some means. As a Pharisee, you typically had a fair amount of, of money. And uh, a man of some means and influence, and, and, then, and then Christ. And everything changed for him. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. And, and as a result, a person could, I suppose, be discouraged by the fact that I used to have a lot, now I don't. But apparently, Paul was at rest 
with his circumstances. I'm grateful for that. So, so our hope today is to engage this little book. And I think, I think there is a major theme within it regarding joy. But I think there's a more primary theme than joy. And joy is a big deal. All of us, all of, us of course, want to find an attitude of gratitude within our lives so that our hearts are a welcoming heart. Nobody wants to hang around somebody that's bitter and discouraged all the time. So it's great to be people of joy. So I'm all about that. We'll talk about it. But I believe there's a a more primary theme that Paul is trying to help us understand, uh, a theme about transformed lives. I believe that he's saying that, that we can live as kingdom citizens with transformed lives. So he wants to teach us that, how kingdom citizens live transformed lives. That's what he's trying to teach us here. Throughout this whole book, he's instructing the Philippians the next step. After the joy, then what? Now what happens? How does my life change that I might employ that joy in such a way that it not only changes my life, but the lives of others around me? How do I do that? He wants us to live these transformed lives. Kim also read this verse too out of Philippians chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or dispute. That's kind of that mean-spirited person I was talking about a minute ago. We're not like that. We don't want to do that. Instead, that you may be blameless and innocent. And now hear this. Children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We just sang a moment ago about his marvelous light, how he has moved us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We no longer live in darkness. We no longer participate in darkness. We no longer see ourselves as men and women of darkness. We now know that we've been, we've been moved. We've been transformed. We are now children of light. That's a good thing. Should change our lives day by day because we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And so he has given us a purpose. The purpose of the transformed life, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I don't think it's a guilt trip. I think it's a sense of encouragement. But what he's saying is, I need you to shine. I'm in jail. My time's almost up. I need you to step up. I need you to shine brilliantly so that my life isn't in vain. Isn't that an interesting thing? I poured my life into you. Step up. There's more for you. Don't settle. Paul is saying here for the believer, never settle for mere salvation. And let me tell you, Salvation is not small. Don't mishear me. But never settle for mere salvation. He is saying that you can live above the darkness that's around you, the discouraging darkness. And he's saying that there's a a transformation and a purpose and a joy that has been set aside for you to live into. So So he's saying never settle for less than all that God has set aside for you. 
So the question that we'll be asking during this series is roughly, have you been transformed enough? Let's pray. So Father, indeed, we are seeking your mercy this morning. We're seeking your wisdom, your truth. We're seeking everything that has been set aside for us today. We want it all. We are jealous for your love and your grace and your truth and your mercy. We want it that we might share it. So, bless us now this morning. We pray for uh, Kathleen and Rick Martin, Father. We pray for uh, the Mazzoni family, for Yvette and Josh. Thanks, uh, Father, for Josh's service this morning out uh, keeping us safe. For Sharissa uh, and, and Guy, Father, they're about to take off for Israel. So we pray health and mercy over them. Uh, for Peg and Tom McMillan, Father, Tom's a friend from uh, for 25, 30 years. And so we are grateful for um, for them and their family. We pray for uh, Julie and John McVeigh, Father. I'm enjoying John's keyboard, so that's a lovely thing. For Mary, Father, and for uh, the Millers, for Sue and Dale, Father. These are These are people we are praying for during the course of this week. We love our congregation. And we love the people in it. And so we pray your mercies upon them. It makes me think of uh, Kevin, Father, who is in uh, Lutheran today with a bruised heart, Dixie and Greg's uh, son. And so we pray your mercies upon him. We pray that he would be moved soon, perhaps home soon. We pray a deep healing in his life. Uh, not, not just the heart, but a deep, deep healing. And so we trust you for that in your way, Father, we're all on a journey. And Father, in that sense, that makes me think of Vera uh, Shader as well. And the beautiful life she has lived, service to Arvada Covenant, service to this church, and now she has gone to her reward. There is a, a, a whole family here that knows and loves her. So we pray for that family. I pray for Justin as he uh, is, um, is in need of consolation in the loss of his grandmother. So, Father, um, life is relentless. There are um, births and deaths and everything in between. And so, Father, we pray your mercy in these moments. We pray your wisdom over the service again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about the European evasion. Not the one that happened in June of whatever, 1944. Not that European invasion. Let's talk about the European invasion that happened when Paul took the gospel of the kingdom into Europe from Asia, what was called Asia, in his first missionary journey to all the way into Greece and then ultimately into Asia. So he went on missionary journeys. Perhaps you've heard that. His first missionary journey took him up into Asia Minor. Do we have a map? Let's try it. I, oh, I have a pointer. All I need is a cat. <laughs> we were just Sam and I were just talking about a church cat, and I'm thinking that's probably a great idea. Nah, pro okay, probably not. I've got I've got uh, leadership team people going. No, no, we're not doing a cat. So so here we are. This is Paul's second missionary journey. Little tiny red dot here. He's going to take off from Antioch, and he's going to head up here into. Asia. They called this Asia. And 
uh, and those churches and those uh, early work uh, happened here in these cities, uh, and that's his first missionary journey. But at his second missionary journey, he takes off with his friend uh, Timothy, and he's going to make his way uh, all the way up into uh, Troas up here. So there's something that's interesting that happens because this, once you get past this little opening here, he's going to go up here to the, uh, Neapolis and then here's Philippi. Thessalonica, that might sound familiar to you. He goes to Athens and preaches there. You read about that in, in Acts. He goes to Corinth and there's some letters that we write there and then ultimately he comes back to Ephesus. And so these names are familiar to us because some of the books in the Bible are written to the churches in these places. So when we read uh, out of the book of, of Philippians, he's writing to the church of Philippi, and the people that live there are called Philippians. So that's how we came by that name. It, it makes sense when you know. And so he's thinking that he's going to make his way uh, into Asia, and that's where he wants to be. He wants to be in Asia, and he wants to revisit the churches that he had been at a couple years earlier. The first missionary journey was 46 to 49 A.D. Then he spent some time in Antioch and some time in Jerusalem and then went back to Antioch. Antioch's kind of his home church, okay? And his sending church, so to speak, they, they gave him money and donkeys, I guess, something to get around and sent him on his missionary journeys. And so uh, he spent uh, about a year, uh, two years maybe, uh, in in Jerusalem and Antioch, and then in 51, he took off on his second missionary journey. So that's where the church of Philippi finds itself being birthed is during his second missionary journey. But it's a funny thing that happened, and we read about this in um, in Acts. And so that's why I said you had to have your finger kind of in Acts, because we're going to be there. And now we're going to go back, um, Lucy, one one slide. I'm doing things in opposite order. You need to stay on your toes with me because I don't know what I'm doing. All right. So in Acts uh, 16, we read this. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, isn't this interesting, to speak the word in Asia. So they were forbidden to speak in Asia, which is where they thought they were going into those churches that he had previously established. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't, didn't allow them there. So passing by way of Mysia, they went down to Troas. Okay, now, Lucy, let's go back to our map real quick. So he wanted to go here, but they were prevented by Jesus from going there, so they wanted to go to Bithynia. They said, well, if we can't go here, let's go to Bithynia. Now, you, you don't have it on your map, but that's way up here by the Black Sea. So he's thinking, well, if we can't do that, we'll go up to, to Bithynia, still kind of here in Asia, but Bithynia. And then that doesn't work. And so he starts working his way over here to Mysia. And they get as far as Troas and they hang tight there because they don't know what to do. The Lord has told them, don't, don't go up to Bithynia. Don't go to Asia. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what do I do? Where do I go? And, and an amazing thing happens. He experiences the Macedonian call. 
Now that's what uh, theologians call this little passage in Scripture where Paul has a vision of a man in Macedonia. Macedonia, uh, sorry, my map disappeared. I, I'm, I'm so hard, it's so hard to work with, and I recognize that. So, so um, Macedonia is this, this is all Greece, right? You can kind of see the hand coming down there. They call it Acacia, but this is all Greece, and we're making our way now formally into Europe. And that's why we call this the European invasion, because he's about to be told that there's a man in Macedonia, there's a man over here that needs Paul. And Paul hears that in a vision, and at the same time, there's a Macedonian who says uh, in a vision that there's a man coming to you to minister to you. And so Paul begins to make his way. Now let's read about it, Lucy, in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, including, uh, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's a couple things interesting here. I feel like God beckons us. He, he, he asks us to get going, and he gets us moving, and we have a plan, and we start moving forward, and then things change, but I'm in a position of readiness. I have been moving, I have been obeying as best I know, and I have been pursuing a godly path forward. And then God says, great, I'm glad to get you here because I actually wanted to get you over here, and so from here I can get you there. I've experienced that all throughout my life in terms of my work through Youth for Christ and my nonprofit and through the church, that he, he uses the experiences and the circumstances of life to direct us and call us into his purposes. We should engage that and enjoy that. Another interesting thing is happening right here. Did you see in verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia. Up until this point, the narrative had all been first person. From this point on, the narrative is written in the third person where Luke, the author in, of Acts, includes himself into the story. And he says, we are doing this. So Luke is recording this, this wonderful first person narrative. And I, and I love that. These names, these cities, these events, these are historic. He is, a, he is a wonderful writer, a history writer. And I love that we're getting the straight scoop on exactly what happened. And that we can go to the, we can go to the bank on these accounts, not stories. So they're wonderful things. I'm, I'm grateful for that. So his original plan was to go up and visit the churches he had previously planted. Silas and Timothy had joined him by now, and they're making their way over to uh, Mysia and Troas, and then they're going to go across the water and uh, go to Neapolis first, and then on to Philippi. And there's, a, there's an interesting thing that happens with this Macedonian call. There's a a sense of something grand that's happening, something that we see in Paul that I think we can take into consideration. I believe that there's a, um, a, a 
kingdom-driven, spirit-led, and Christ-centered expression of Paul's ministry, one of the things that's consistent, regardless of where he finds himself, whether he's in Asia Minor or if he had made his way up to Bithynia or if he worked his way into Europe, on every circumstance, he always found himself in a kingdom-driven, Christ-centered and Spirit-led place. And by that, I mean that the kingdom-driven peace refers to his motive. He's all about the gospel of the kingdom. And we're going to have to talk some more about that because my, my sense in the Church of America today, we've lost track of the gospel of the kingdom. We can, we can define the gospel of salvation quite well. But the grander idea by which the gospel of salvation is, is manifest is through the gospel of the kingdom. So he's very a kingdom-driven man. He wants to see the kingdom of God manifest here and now. And so he labors ceasingly because his motive is to see the kingdom break through and shine like a star in the darkness of a dark world. He wants us to shine. He's also a spirit-led man. And by this story, we can see that, can't we? That he waits and listens long enough to hear the voice of God. He's kingdom-driven. That's his motive. But it's the Holy Spirit that serves as the means to his direction and his plans. He makes an outline, but he waits for the Spirit to inform him and direct him. And then ultimately, of course, the message is Christ. And so everything about his story is about the person of Jesus Christ and the difference maker that he is. Kingdom driven, spirit led, Christ centered. Those are words I think that a, a church in the first century would take to heart. Those are words that I think a church in the 21st century could take to heart. As a primary hope for who we are, that we be Christ-centered, Spirit-led. Excuse me, kingdom-driven, Spirit-led, Christ-centered. So, I want to start moving towards wrapping up, but there's a little more content block I want to do. The first stars, I want to skip a Bible verse, uh, Lucy, and I want to go down to these first stars. They were curious people. One was a seller of purple. One was a fortune teller, and uh, one was a, a jail <laughs> keeper. And um, I don't know, I'd, I've never planted a church, but this would not be who I would start with. I would start with, uh, you know, maybe a, a, law, a lawyer and probably an accountant and uh, some smart guy that does something else, uh, you know. Some, uh, and, and we're getting these curious people that we're going to build around. So here's the... Here's the curious deal. When we talk about stars, when God is asking us to be stars, it's not because of our credentials. We don't go out looking for the stars, such as they are. Uh, sadly, the world is looking at the stars, the athletic stars, the political stars, the finance stars, the influencers. What? 
How do they get to be influencers? Dang it. I, ah. So that poor word has been hijacked by TikTok. So, so I want to be an influencer, but I want to be an influencer for Christ. So my starredness comes from the person of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? It doesn't come from my human credentials. That's why God can use through Paul uh, a seller of purple, probably somebody who's wealthy and a little trapped in the world, but he can take this seller of purple and transform her. He can take this, uh, this demonic-possessed fortune teller and start to form a church around her. He can take this jail guy and form a church around him, not because of their credentials, but because of his. That's what makes us stars. That's what makes us glow so brightly. We want to lean into that. We want to recognize that every person has a story. Every person is needed by Christ. Lydia. Let's show a picture of Lydia. It's actually a photograph of Lydia. Um, she's shy, and so she only likes her good side is her left side. She, um, she is by Sarah Beth Boca, and she's also a contemporary. And I like this image because it personifies a person that's really quite influential and important in this story. She's from Thyatira. That's in Asia. But she has moved to Philippi. Thyatira, if you go there, is a, uh, a place where uh, indigo and purple uh, archaeologists have found that it was a major site. Purple was a very expensive dye. So if you were, if you were draped in purple, probably you were royalty because you're the only one that can afford purple. And she was a seller of purple. So she had money. Paul meets her when she goes, we sang about this, when she goes down to the riverside to pray. And she goes there with some other women, probably because there aren't enough, she's perhaps a Jew, and there aren't enough Jews in the city to form a tabernacle. So she and her women friends go down to the river to pray, and Paul finds them and leads them to Christ and starts a church because God directed him there. And he begins to satisfy the Macedonian call. Acts chapter 16. Is your finger still there? We're going to wrap up here pretty quick. Setting sail from Troas. Remember, right there on the coast, we made a direct voyage to Somathrace, following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gates to the riverside where we Suppose there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. She had some Jewish understanding. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul, Luke talking now in the third person. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me, to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You see, she was, she was transformed immediately. She received the truth of Jesus Christ with joy and she said, I need you in my home. I need you to come and bless my house. I need to serve you. Perhaps she was wealthy of sorts. My guess is she wanted to entertain. She wanted to love them well. Later we read about the fortune teller. We'll talk about that a little bit. Paul eventually gets ticked at her and casts the demon out. 
And, and he lands himself in jail when that happens, and then he meets the jailkeeper. And out of this, he begins to bring the gospel to Europe. Mysteriously, amazingly, beautifully. So I want to finish with these great passages, these themes from Philippians. We've been singing them. We've been talking about them this morning. Let's wrap up with some of these that I think will be somewhat familiar to you. In Philippians chapter 4, we read in verse 13, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. And we learned about that from the donut man. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Actually, that was, um, that was Susanna that sang that song for us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, so I memorized this differently, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4.8, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You've probably heard those quoted at a wedding. Philippians 4, a little bit further down, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. And remember, our needs are the needs necessary in order for us to shine. It's not about our needs, what we think our needs are for a new car and a new phone. He will meet all our needs necessary for us to shine like stars in the darkness. He will fully equip you if you don't settle for less. Why would you? Then we read this incredible passage in Philippians chapter 2. That's two weeks from now. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider himself, excuse me, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to to death, even death on a cross. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, and for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So Paul is praying for the church in Philippi that they would shine. And he gives them some verses to help with that. I think, I think I've been informed on this right. For those who are hearing impaired, um, to clap for an audience, uh, you can't hear a clap, so you shine, right? Is that correct, I think? And so I like that. And in fact, if you want to use that while I'm preaching and you think I, and you think I say something good, you can just kind of shine a little bit. You don't have to clap. You don't have to amen necessarily. But if you want to kind of wiggle your hands a little bit and shine, that doesn't hurt my feelings. Because, because we should be shining. God has invited you. God has invited Applewood to be that light on a hill right here, right now. Let's pray. So, Father, indeed,
You have set this time aside for us. You have set this time aside for us to shine. I pray, Father, that we will be able to answer that question well. Have we been transformed enough? Is there more that's been set aside for me? Is there a life of purpose and hope and community that you, that you long for me to participate in? Because, Father, we believe that our little church has been set here for your purposes. We will not settle for less. In Jesus' name.